This is Cinema Degeneration. Hey, how you doing? My name's Ed Malloy. I'm known as the Brain Smasher. You'll know why in a few minutes. the red lotus and steals it away now the men who want it all tell us where the flower is hidden and walk away in one piece are about to face off with the bouncer who's got it all i got charm <laughs> charisma you know i got a mirror above my bed so i'm the first one i see when i get up in the morning eh? he's gallant i'll take you to the cops but that's as far as i go i'll pay you $300. Make it five. Done. He's brave. This is the brain smasher. He hates kung fu. In fact, he thinks it's for wimps. Oh, what, what are you talking I was just tiny. I love that stuff. Uh, Chuck Norris, I got all the movies, you know. He's invincible. To rescue a beautiful model, recover a stolen treasure, and outwit killer ninjas for bouncer Ed Malloy, it's all in a night's work. Let's kick some ninja butt. We're dead. Andrew Dice Clay. You're going to have his babies, right? We just met. I thought you said you loved him. Oh, I'm not going to talk about it right here, right now. Brain Smasher, a love story. All righty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration and our Albert Pune Appreciation Month. We are going with an, I wouldn't say an oddity, but almost everything in Albert Pune's uh, filmography is kind of an oddity. We're going to be covering Brain Smasher, A Love Story from 1993. And if you haven't heard of this movie, that's because it's never gotten a physical release. Other than VHS, it has never gotten a physical DVD or Blu-ray release anywhere, I think, except overseas. It only saw a theatrical release in Brazil, of all things. And, uh, yeah, it was a the follow-up that was Andrew Dice Clay's follow-up to The Adventures of Ford Fairlane when his theatrical career didn't pan out this is what he did a pg-13 uh <laughs> a version of the warrior so to speak i guess <laughs> but before i get too far off on a tangent here because we'll probably get off on several i want to welcome my special guest co-host gary hill to the show <laughs> not so special but i'm i'm here brother i'm here to i picked this movie so i said let's, let's talk about the dice man because I, I love this man, for sure, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was a part of my childhood growing up. I saw him in a concert. Now, I'm going to date myself here and admit something on air that I probably should never admit. But I saw him in concert when I was about 12 or 13 years old. Way too young. Way too uh, tender of an age to be seeing the Dice Man, I think. But I don't regret a thing. 
You you must have had a cousin or something. Your your mother wouldn't put up with that shit. I'm sure. You know. No, nope, uh, no, nope. you would be wrong, sir. My mother took me to the show. She took me to see him and Sam Kinison all within about the same year. So I had a, a very uh, a, a very cool mom, I guess you could say. That's, that's a very good year right there, man. That, that's a that's an honor right there seeing those two in concert. Yeah, it was a uh, probably didn't you know. Uh, Help me formulate my colorful language as a as a teen or preteen, but you know, it probably accounts for why I got into so much trouble in school as a kid. I guess. How's your cigarette flipping skills, though? Because that that's the thing that Dice does very well. He doesn't do it in this movie though all that much, which is very disappointing. Yeah, he smokes like a half a pack and a half throughout the movie, but yeah, he doesn't do the cigarette flip. Like the way I've described this movie to people, and the way I've described it even in my notes, it's like. Is dice light PG thirteen dice, but I ain't mad at it because it makes them a little bit more, you know. I mean, uh, it makes them more palatable in a PG thirteen format. I mean, it's kind of like uh, you know cutting this comedy off at the knees, but I ain't mad. For, I ain't mad at it for. I like this movie. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I liked it too. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get into why and why it's it's much much better than it, than it ever deserves to be. Yeah, it's a lot better than it deserves to be. But let's go ahead and give the folks at home listening the IMDb synopsis, which is as follows. I'm going to have a hard time getting through this because this is the laziest work I think I've ever seen written for an IMDb synopsis. But this is as follows for Brain Smasher, a love story. Sam, a model, helps her botanist sister smuggle a red lotus to Oregon. A bunch of Chinese, in quotations, ninja monks want the Lotus and try to get Sam so as to force an exchange, a bouncer helps Sam. And that is lazy fucking works. <laughs> a bouncer helps Sam. Yes, indeed. A bouncer yeah. helps Sam. <laughs> I think I actually like the, the I'm, I'm going to give this uh, a run here. The actual quotes on the poster are on the VHS uh, artwork. Rescue a supermodel. Battle killer ninjas, save the world, no problem. That's a much better synopsis than what IMDb gives you, I think. Yes, 100%. <laughs> but this has a star-studded cast. I'm going to give you folks at home a couple of, uh, just a few of the names. Not all of them, just a few of the names. we got, of course, our star, Andrew Dice Clay, is Ed Malloy. Terry Hatcher from Desperate Housewives as Samantha Crane. Yuji Akamoto as Wu, the head ninja i want to use an air quotes here ninja because they're not ninjas although they were referred to as ninjas a thousand times over uh but yeah they're actual monks uh liz sheridan is um mama malloy seinfeld's mama in this that's one. right this is seinfeld yeah yeah and she's severely un- underutilized but i love her anyway uh peter kwong from big trouble little china is the head red monk uh tim motherfucking thomason because that's the only way he, he should ever be referred to as tim motherfucking thomason as detective black and brian motherfucking james is detective brown and then in a few uh, smaller parts we got deborah van valkenberg as cammy nicholas guest is uh, agent smith and we must also note uh, note here that they are not ninjas they are honestly Constantly an onslaught of characters that are referred to as ninjas, but they are actually monks, and it's an ongoing joke throughout the whole movie. There's three ongoing jokes in this movie. We'll get into the other two uh, a little later on, but 
I, I just I, I call this movie Dice Light because it's it's PG thirteen dice. But like I said earlier, uh, I'm not mad at it for it. It, it, it. It's like I said, it makes them a little bit more palatable for the masses. I think. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. I mean, he, he uh, he's playing it like tough. But he's playing. He's kind of playing it tough. He's kind of playing it uh, soft at the same time. He's trying to kind of be sensitive and in, in the role, but at the same time, he's just this bruiser. Uh, the reason why they call him Brain Smasher is, is it's no secret. He he's a bouncer. And he he beats people till their pocket the way they show to their possible skull could possibly cave in. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I love the fact that they don't let that on until the very last, you know, fight of the movie. It's like, you know, you think he's just he's rattling people's brains with his haymaker punches, but no, he will actually crush your skull. Mm-hmm. There's a part in the movie where he, he's he's going they're going full raid, which is before the raids. So that's not really fair. Fighting these monks uh, slash ninjas in a hallway where he just keeps laying into them with this one monk in, in a door frame. And if he's sitting him as hard as he, as he is, he could possibly keep his skull in, you know, because he keeps, yeah. he keeps, he keeps laying into him, you know. And then when that doesn't finish him off, he just stomp, you know, curb stomps his head, spits on him. And it's like, okay, okay, now we're going. That's <laughs> that right. was the part that didn't feel like it was PG-13. I was like, ooh, I think he just crushed that guy's skull and spit on his corpse. I don't know if that's PG-13, but I. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, Car- Carver says that Mook will come back and, you know, try to beat the shit out of him again or something. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> the, the, that Monk will come back as a heckler in a future comedy show, you know. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I love the, how it opens. It's just him, like, on the phone trying to tell the story to his ma who doesn't care. She just wants him to move back home. He's, then he tries calling his buddy, or he calls the buddy first, and he won't listen to him. Nobody's listening to him tell a story. Then he breaks the fourth wall, looks at the camera, and is like, okay, you're here. I'm going to tell you a story now. This is how it goes, you see? You hear? And we get about 30 seconds later the, the most unusual cameo of this movie. And again, I ain't mad at it for it, but like, I didn't expect her to pop up in this because I haven't seen this movie in probably 10 or 15 years. It's been a while. It's been a hot minute. And uh, Lynn fucking Shay is in it as the makeup girl, applying makeup to Terry Hatcher, plucking eyebrows and shit. Like, she's only in that one scene, but she, she like, glows. And, like, I'm always happy to see Lynn, Lynn Shay in something. Yeah, it's always good to see Lynn Shay show up in anything. And it's always good to see ra- random Lynn, Lynn Shay cameos. And it was it was a nice uh, it was a nice moment yeah, for her to show up in anything, especially in this, you know. Yeah, to show up in a cameo in something that wasn't, you know... Uh, uh, he was, it wasn't a New Line Cinema show, movie, you know, joint in the end. But, yeah. But this one got released by Vidmark Entertainment. And it got scrapped from a theatrical release right before. They never, there's not much available on this. I really tried looking and looking for any kind of interviews. But there's not a whole lot to, you know, of trivia on the IMDb or even uh, Wikipedia for that matter. There's nothing. It just says that it was as of uh, January 4th, 2010, Lionsgate has yet to announce any plans for a DVD release. It is uh, available on DVD in the UK. And at one point in 2012, it was available for streaming on Netflix, which I guarantee you is no longer on there. 
Yeah, so if you guys search the dark web for this one, uh, I, uh, you, you have our endorsement on that one, guys. See? Yeah. I mean, I, I believe it's on Tubi. Uh, I, I I watched it streaming on YouTube. I found a much better print of it on YouTube. And so, you know, there it is. But it, it was released theatrically in Brazil, of all fucking places. I, I still don't get that, but that, that, that that's it, it is what it is. It is what it is. But when we get to the beginning of this movie, we get, you know, bad relent the bad relationships with uh, our main character, Sam, and weird packages from distant sisters. And it it it, it has to deal with Shaolin monks from a red lotus sect. I had to really try hard to, to say that without lisping. But um, you know, I think it's just kind of odd when we get the, to the part where Deborah Van Valkenburg playing uh, Cammy meets up with her sister, or actually her sister meets up with her, Terry Hatcher does. Because so the sister's names are Sammy and Cammy. I guess that's writing uh, 101. But uh, but I, I can't get the idea behind the idea that like my suspension of disbelief, you know, can suffer through a lot. But that Cammy managed to foil the monks in the elevator with a sharpie. Like what? She uses a sharpie to, to prevent them from getting out of the. I mean, they're, they're ninjas with somewhat you know alluded to that they have you know superpowers because they're doing all sorts of gymkata type shit, but they can't break a sharpie. Can't break oh, okay. a sharpie, but they can do crouching tiger floating moves in the air, and you know, <sighs> right? Because because they're monks, you know, they got the spirit all up in them and stuff. Which I think is some of the coolest things about the movies is, is the wire work. For for a low budget movie, when they're like doing their floating kung fu in the air, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it looks pretty freaking clean, you know. That's something I had a, a mark in my notes here is that the stunt work is actually pretty stellar. It's pretty damn good for you know a straight to video or all, you know intentionally for theatrical, but a straight to video movie. You know, a low-budget movie of this ilk usually doesn't have a bunch of a wire foo that looks good. Most of the time, it looks pretty bad. But, uh, you know, I guess that's the fact that when you think everybody in your movie is a ninja, you have them perform like a ninja. But we, as we... There's good wire work, and then there's Mr. Vampire. But Mr. Vampire is intentionally bad wire work, so... (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, best to remember this little tidbit... They tell us at one point straight up that Chinese people are monks, ninjas are Japanese, and you best remember that because it's going to come up in this movie how many times? Too many times. It's the ongoing joke, but besides the fact that uh, Ed can't uh, seem to please his parents, and they always want him to move home. But there's also something uh, to be said about his parents when we get to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but yeah, just remember, Chinese are monks. The Japanese are ninjas, okay, and they will be referred to as ninjas a thousand and one times to the point where it almost drains the life out of the joke. But again, like I said earlier, I can't be mad at it because it's uh, I, I just feel like this movie deserves a better release than it has been given on VHS. You know, like you said, you might have to search the dark web to find it, but it deserves a proper release. I can't believe a boutique, you know company like vinegar syndrome or synapse or somebody you know 88 films anybody has not like released this yet it's beyond yeah. me one one day you know yeah i i think that the the, the ninja slash monk joke 
would have worked a lot better if there was a little more comedy relief in there as far as like you know people call us ninjas for years or something and you know this really upsets our, our lead guy woo I, that would be really cool if they had like a little comedy relief in there amongst these monks and uh by the way, Wu is uh, played by the guy that plays Chosen in the Karate Kid uh, yeah. Part 2 and in Cobra Kai. And he was in uh, other Albert Pune joints, too. Uh, Nemesis and Mean Guns and stuff. So, yeah, connections, both, you know. Both of which we've uh, already covered for the, the this month's Appreciation Month. He's a, He was a, ended up being a, a Pune regular for quite a while. Well, Thomerson, too, you know. Thomerson, Brian James, I mean... Even Nicholas Guest is as small of a role as he has is, you know, pretty much a regular. You know, that was one thing Pune did. He always brought back people that he worked with, you know, and I kind of admire that about him. I always like the, the, stable, <laughs> the, the stable of actors amongst these directors. And uh, it's, it's some pretty good ones, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we don't really even get a an appearance of dice other than like that opening intro where he's telling the story, which felt like that was probably filmed after the fact to just not have that cold open. But uh, the two sisters split up. They keep splitting up in this movie when the ninjas are like, you know, not ninjas, that the monks are like half a block away. You can see him in the background every time. It's like, okay, we got to split up his bike, but they can see you. They don't have to be ninjas to know where you're at. Anybody with that, you know, as long as they're not wearing bifocals can see that far away and see where you're going. But uh, splitting up for the sisters does not work. And we get Dice's real intro as Ed, where where he is just knocking out people left and right. Like, it just seems like his job is just to punch people in the face, which, you know, is the bouncer to this club. The one thing I have to question is, Who's waiting in this in a line that long, forty people deep, to get into that lame ass '90s club? Because that, there's nobody in that club that I would wait that long in line to go see. I mean, just not gonna do it. Bad music and um, some of the worst white folks dancing ever. I mean, you could tell that they tried to try to set these people up to like dance and sync with each other, but it wasn't working. So they should have got they should have got Tony Basil up in this bitch to to juice that thing up or something. <laughs> she she, she would have worked out the cheap, goddammit, it, you know. Yeah, she'd have worked out. Uh, the ninjas show up after uh, you know Dice knocks a couple of them out. The girl gets past them. Sam gets past them and gets inside. So Terry Hatcher's running around, and Dice has to have somebody bring him his jacket that has you know in sequin sparklies all across the back says. Brain smasher. So if you don't know who he is, you're gonna you're gonna be, be knowing here in a few minutes. But like, <laughs> he's just like the ninjas just start killing everybody. I like when they start doing the wire food. They're flipping in and out of the scene, just coming in from impossible angles, and just start taking out the band, which was just fine by me because that band was atrocious. Yeah, it works. It works the club scene in that in that respect for sure. They just um. Again, this film was filled. This film was filled with um, some great action set pieces. That's that's one of the lesser ones in my opinion, but it's fun to watch. Hey, listen to the shitty music and then watching the wire food monks just beat the shit out of the band for for, for, <laughs> no, for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't like the band was blocking their way or stopping them from doing something, <laughs> but you know. Uh, you know, if they want to take out a lame early 90s uh, band out, out of commission, that's okay by me. If they want to snap their necks, you know, we could have just hoped that it was Nickelback, but it wasn't. 
But uh, anyway, anyway, we digress here. I don't want to get off on a, a Nickelback rant. I, I was on mute, but yes, those Canadians could have been involved. Who knows? But uh... <laughs> uh, I just think it's funny when they go to jump. They always jump to escape. They've always got to jump out a window or off a ledge to escape in one of these 90s action movies. They, they don't tell you about the part that the, when you land, you actually roll an ankle, break it, snap knees break legs, dislocate hips and things like that. But, you know, you got to, again, suspension of disbelief can take away a lot of that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, for sure, because they're literally floating in the air. So you got to think there's some some, uh, mystical shit happening in this movie that is not explained at all. And that's that's definitely a problem with it all. That it's not explained why they're kind of float in the air and climb walls like that and... You know, it's, it's it's all part of the mystique of saying, "Hey, they're, they're, they're not um, they're not ninjas; they're monks, so they got some mystical shit up in them." You know, um, we did a movie once on the commentary show. Uh, what was it? What was the one with Chuck Connors called? Was it? Um, oh, um, that's right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, Shaolin's. It's something. Sakura Warriors or something. It was called. Yeah, that's the one believe, we covered before, wasn't it? Yeah, I know, on the commentary show. And uh, in that film, you would believe that Chuck Connors could just kill ninjas with a shotgun, like all willy-nilly, you know, because he's invincible or whatnot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, like I said, there's a lot of suspension disbelief in action films, but you're not there, be- you know, because you want to see something believable. If you want to see a believable action movie, I, I don't think you really do. Uh, speaking of believable or non-believable, I think it should be said, this family, they keep talking about their mom and dad, the sisters do. But one sister's a model, one sister became a botanist, and they keep talking about how they're like disappointed their parents would be in them. But like, if I, if I had a couple of girls and one became a supermodel and one became a botanist, I don't know that I'd be that disappointed. I'd be like, you go, you get yours, you know. You're successful. You, you've created a, a a red flower that the the container that it's in this this freeze dried container it looks like a flashlight. Okay, that's all I'll say. <laughs> I have a, a note in my a comment in my notes that said it looked like a butt plug. Is what I thought it looked like. So. Stick stick your dick in the red lotus and become invincible. Come on now. <laughs> Uh, it just goes to prove that once again, all you need is a weird prop and to look cool and badass or black trench coats. That's all you need. That's all you need in this movie. But uh, <laughs> I, I, we got to mention here, though, at one point <clears throat> is old mama getting played uh, by the, the, the same actress that played uh, Seinfeld's mother, you know, and I just I, I, I love the mama character. I like I love the mom and dad both both together. They're both really really good, and I forgot to write down the uh, oh what the hell the 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 father's name. But Liz Sheridan played Mother Malloy. Pops Malloy was played by Ralph Monaco. I had to look it up here while we were talking, but they're great. They're and they're it's really weird how they're utilized. Because like in the middle they're escaping, you know. Uh, Ed takes Sam and he's like, "Well, I gotta." He's like, "I gotta get my, I gotta collect a debt." But his debt collecting is getting his car registration from his mother's house, 
that that was the biggest part of my suspension to disbelief that I couldn't couldn't stand by. Like I think they just use that as a prop to introduce the parents' characters for a hot second and then just take them away. But it's like, okay, why not keep your registration in your car? It, it just uh, just didn't make sense to me. But like, there's a lot in this movie that kind of doesn't make. A whole lot of sense but i mean that in a good way because it's got a kind of a whimsical feeling to it, it you know but uh well the, the the dice man didn't pass the mission until right then so he's waiting for the registration to come to his mom's house that's all that was man you know okay you had it made sense this isn't written you know but i'm just i'm just throwing it out there what it could be you know i have a whole nother theory about why why he does what he does in this movie but i'll get to that towards the end of the show <laughs> okay okay right on but yeah, like I love Ma. She sells Ed pretty well. She's like, "Oh, my Ed is such an upstanding guy. He's never committed a crime. He he's such a, lives on the straight and narrow." And I'm just like, I think he was just trying to like take her, take Sam there, to, not just to get his uh, registration, as it was so much to get parents' approval. But you know, as you do. Oh, but dad, dad, dad is problematic in in, in today's world, in this world, in any world, because you know. Dad was really excited when this hot piece came into his apartment, even with his wife there. He's like getting up, uh, oh, sit, sit in the best chair in the house, the best chair in the house, knowing when she leaves, that old man's going to sniff that chair. Because let me tell you, he's, he's going to smell <laughs> for, for her uh, her secretions that possibly went on that chair. Yeah, <laughs> There's not even a might be. Like, I'm sure that that actor probably did that when the scene was over and he's like oh wait but this is part of my character and he's like the backstory that i created <laughs> dad, dad is a panty sniffer that's all i'll say man you know oh uh, but we got we got to talk a little bit about <laughs> ed's shitty car and even shittier apartment he never you know he never really even gets to get into the car because she's all of a sudden got to use the bathroom is it just an excuse to be like okay go to you know, my apartment that is just above a restaurant called The Lotus. Like, hmm. This, I, all I got to say is by his car and by his apartment, Ed is obviously very, um, what's the term I'm looking for here? Low rent is what I think. He's got a one-bedroom apartment, I'm sure, you know. Next next to a train station, I'm sure, like like Elwood Blues. And it's, it's a, he's got it working, man. That, that's a single person's bachelor pad. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess he doesn't really need anything more. Like he said, he's he, like, he, they keep even talking down to Ed uh, and Sam in the movie. They keep talking down. Everybody else does you know, because she's a model and she's an in air quotes here airhead. And, you know, Ed is just a bouncer. So he's just, you know, a meathead, you know, just like they, they I think that's the, what the theme of this movie is about about is underestimating people and then having the, those people kind of beat those expectations expectations lowered expectations out of you uh, with in ned's case quite literally beating them out of you but uh i, I kind of like that theme. You know, like it's something i never really picked on when i uh, picked up on when i was uh younger but as an older guy i was just like okay there is an actually good uh you know theme behind this movie is n never underestimate people which i i like i guess you know maybe that wasn't what they were going for but that's what i picked up on this time Oh yeah, to total every man, you know. And like I say, he play he plays it humble in this movie. He doesn't play, you know. He's like the opposite of Ford Fairlane. He, yeah. He's still he's still trying to be cool, but he's very reserved in this movie. You know, you, you wonder like 
what's his story in a way? Like, why why is he so, so good with his punches? Is he a former boxer? They don't explain any of this. He's just his bouncer at this club. And the, he beats her by happenstance. You know, of course, he... Not not really rescuing her, but you know, literally having trouble run into him, or her trouble run into him, and that's how he gets involved with this girl. And you know, hey, who are these fuckers? I just knocked out. You know, and <laughs> kind of like being in the right place, but at the wrong time, so to speak. Yes, yes. Uh, I got to talk about one of my favorite scenes is when coming up here, the gymnastic ninja sequence, where it's just. It's a shot on this alleyway, and they're jumping up through the air. And again, as I'm saying, using Jim Cotta techniques all across the board. Yep. And when the, the first couple make it, you get the, you know, the <laughs> the the rest of the ninja slash monks, you know, clapping and cheering them on. You know, <laughs> it's, it's come great. on, man, you could do it. We learned this in in class or ninja <laughs> slash monk class. Yeah. Yeah, the monk slash ninja class 101. We should be able to do this with our eyes closed. <laughs> you got your brown belt now. You can do it. You know, <laughs> Look, light as air, light as air. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, uh, while they're infiltrating the apartment complex, Dice is telling or Ed is telling, uh, you know, Sam about, you know, the old one too. The shot to the balls and uppercut to the chin. I invented it. And he's like, yeah, but did you really, Ed? It's nobody before you, before 1993 and invented a, a cheap shot to the nuts and uppercut to the chin. I'm not saying it wouldn't have worked, but the fact that he said he invented it was kind of, you know, sketchy at best. That's his, that's his cheap one, too. That's a, that's the bitch move right there. But um, <laughs> it's, it, it comes into play, which is important. Yes, it does. It does come into play. And I think this is the part where, like, Dice in an R-rated format would have been a little sleazier. He'd have been if he was a little bit more like you know in air quotes here you know Ford Fairlane or like his actual Dice Man persona. But it's just like you know she points out the 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 swimsuit calendar he's got on the wall. She's like, oh, I'm in that one. He's like, oh yeah. He's like, I'm December. And he's like, yeah. Well, when I get December, I'll check it out. You know. And it's just like a lot classier than you would be believe uh, the Dice Man could be. But uh, yeah, I, I, this is this is. No, 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 no. Go ahead. No, this, this is where it gets kind of real cheap because there's a point where the, the 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 monks break into the apartment, and they're, they're fighting, and they go through the wall to the next apartment, and the, that drywall is like paper thin. <laughs> there is no wall like, between they, they put, that. It's just a sheet of drywall. That's it. I just fall through it. I was like, yeah, when well, you say these walls are paper thin, that fucking wall was paper thin. It's, yeah. um, it might as well be that wall that you try to run through, that, that paper thing, and the, and the, the eliminator of American Gladiators. It, 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 it was that, that almost <laughs> right. Yeah. But the exact note I had here is that it wouldn't be a 90s action movie without crashing through some flimsy-ass fucking walls. <laughs> I, I, I got to give it to the old lady. She takes a shot, you know, she 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 tries to hit the ninja in the fucking dick with the cane. I mean, the the monk, I'm sorry, I'm going to use the word ninja now, too. And um, he takes it, and she's she like, oh, he, he he must have no testicles or something, she says. And then she eats shit out the window with him, and she's hanging on. I'm sure it's, it's a stunt person, I'm sure, of course, but God, I, 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 gotta, so. I, I, I gotta admire, you know, the old lady, like, taking a shot in that scene, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they didn't rely on her to hang out that window for real. <laughs> Poor Miss Bellows, gone too quick. 
well, not gone, but just gone out of the movie too quick. I don't know. I imagine by now she's probably not alive at her age. But, uh, but yeah, Miss Bellows, yeah. She, she yeah, was, the, the, yeah, there was no Debbie Fall. She hung out and they pulled her back through. So, you know. Remember, like she says, when she gets up and, uh, you know, Ed helps her to her feet, I'm a real stand-up broad. So good. So good, brother. Oh, but it's some pretty good stunt work here. A lot of the fighting going on. I didn't take much notes uh, about the the fighting because it's just like, like you said, it's like a raid scene or almost like an old boy scene where it's just like one big fight scene going down a hallway where he's just taking out motherfuckers left and right. And Dice actually, you know, for as much as he's known for being a comedian, really sells the action parts of this movie really well. Like, you know, you kind of believe that he could actually, like, fuck these guys up. It doesn't feel like, oh, it's just a, you know, comedian throwing in a couple of punches and some haymakers and stuff. But the, the, the stunt work and the choreography is really pretty standout and pretty good. But you you needed that 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 point where Wu's, like, talking to, like, a second, the, the second in command or something. Just, just describing of like, how is this, this, you know, this meathead like defeating us? We're all, we're, we're all powerful. We can float in the air, fuck's sake! And this meathead throws some haymakers and can just take us out like that. You know, it, it's it could be like he's he's got the hottest fist I've ever felt or some shit like that. You know, something like that. Right, right, yeah. They could have solved that with one little line, but they didn't do it. They just let it be. Uh, this is the point i don't remember what the next scene is but i I feel like i'm missing a part here but like all of a sudden we kind of enter a 1940s private dick movie where tim thomerson and brian james come out of nowhere playing these cops oh they're acting the shit out of this thing they're selling it but they're in a they're in a totally different movie at this point yeah thomerson's bad cop and Brian James is Philip Marlowe. That, that, that's what he's playing this whole time. It's Phil, with the hat and everything. Come on now. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 not, it's like it's a 1940s private dick movie. Like for at least these a couple of scenes. Where they're, just, they're just shitty cops that uh, won't listen to anybody because, you know, that's what cops do. They don't listen to anybody. <laughs> and they're just like, they're just known. They know, air quotes here again that you can't see. They know that it's about drugs. And it's like... Is it heroin? What is it, you know, Ed? And you can't be- expect us to believe that you just decided to help this, you know, perfectly good stranger, you know, out of the goodness of your heart because, you know, she's a beautiful model and you're a meathead bouncer. Again, you know, playing into that, perpetrating that fraud that meatheads and airheads can't somehow hook up together, I guess. No, because he's like, he's a beautiful woman and he's like this this guy, this, this, this rough and tough dude who's been you know dragged to the button and, and, and felt you know put out wet or something and he, he's again they, they, they the stereotypes this movie is yeah he can't be sensitive and she must be a fucking dumbass because she keeps again she's describing all these fantastical things about these floating monks and you know i wouldn't this, believe this, it either yeah exactly i mean it, 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 you wouldn't believe it and you know the, the, the red lotus flower that can make you all powerful and that 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 goes nowhere in this film. We'll get into why later on. We never, well, you never find out. But uh, 
<laughs> yeah, we yeah, we don't want to ruin that bit up, up too too early. But yeah, there's 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 some shit going on with this red lotus flower that they never seem to, you know, they're going to be you know realizing that it's not going to bring this guy to full power. It's going to do a, it's going to do a little something else. But uh, we get a whole montage of the ninjas slash monks taking over the the police station. So it's shitty cops and bad cops getting killed left and right. And, you know, it's more of like a comical scene, like like a comical version of Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator. He's just going yep. and taking these motherfuckers out. But it's it's a lot funnier because they're just getting, you know, kung fu left and right. And it keeps saying, oh, the ninjas are here. No, we're not ninjas. But this is the point where I got to ask them, like, maybe you got some insight to this. Was it the fact that Wu could catch bullets now, or was that was his gloves bulletproof? Like, or was it both? Because like now he can catch bullets, but they can also throw them back through people's heads at such a ferocious rate that they blast through his skull. Like, I don't know. I'm like, they they, they kind of teeter on the edge that Wu might actually already have some superpowers. Well, the end of this movie, it, um, the church scene, you know, the final showdown. He does get shot by by Cammy, uh, our, our last call Torchy's connector here, Deborah Van Valkenburg, and, and, yep. and Brian James for that matter. Um, and they, they, you could clearly, clearly he got shot in the hand, but he sort of he like he's too late to stop them or something, you know? Yeah, because well, like the first he, one he, he catches he, it doesn't do anything, but when he catches the three at the end, they're actually like perforating his gloves, and he's actually bleeding. He is bleeding, yes. Yeah. You know, now he can catch bullets. So, so I guess that's a, a, you know, if you can catch bullets, that should count as a fucking superpower in my book. So a Bruce, a Bruce Leroy, he is not. He cannot catch bullets with his teeth, okay? <laughs> I would have liked to have seen that, though. Just uh, the one thing I got to make a note here. I don't know is this because for the intents and purposes of keeping this movie about Ed and Samantha, you know, our resident bouncer and, you know, supermodel, but... Deborah Van Velkenberg is Cammy is strangely absent from this movie for after the first half hour. She's absent for like the next 45 minutes, but then she's, you know, she's strangely absent for at least a good almost 45 minutes or an hour's worth of this movie. Yeah, for as close as she's supposed to be with her sister and all of her knowledge about these monks, you think she would have like been trying to protect her a little bit more than she was? It's like, no, she's got this meathead to take, take care of her, you know, and with his super hard fists and again I, w- I wish there would have been some comic relief there to where the monks were talking about how strong the brain smasher was because they're, they're super floaty kung fu bastards and he's just this fucking meathead with, with, with you know fists of steel apparently it's just uh, <laughs> I would love to hear some conversation like like, like in the end of uh, the, the, the final battle in Rocky 4 where Drago has a, a, a conversation with the trainer you know it's like his head is like stone. I forget the line, but like his head is like stone or something. He says something like that, and yeah, yeah, there's something like that. It's like the, his head, head's like steel. Yeah, yeah. There's a conversation there, a small conversation between Drago and his trainer. I kind of wish there'd be a little comedy relief in here about you know why is this? Why is he like this unstoppable force? You know why? Why don't he just fucking back the fuck off or something? Not not in those words, but you you know what I mean? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's PG thirteen. You couldn't have gotten away with that. Yeah, <laughs> but they could have said something is like being punched by him is like being hit in the face with a brick, you know, something, yeah, so, so, something, yeah, something, you know, because he's he's really laying into him in these movies. He's, he's, he's this movie, this, these monks. 
Oh, the, I, 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 I got to wonder about one part, though. It's like with all these guys that he's taken out, he's taken out dozens of them at this point. He gives up on Sam at one point, and he's just like, yeah, I know when I'm outgunned. I know when I'm outmanned or out, out strength or something like that, he says. And he just gives up on Sam at one point after a battle, and nothing really bad happened in the battle. It wasn't like he almost got his ass handed to him. He was just like, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm kind of tired of fighting. I'm going to give up on you. I, you know, you need to just, <laughs> you know, go on your own, find your sister, and, like, solve this problem. But he gets about three steps away until he realizes the ninjas slash monks are following her. And so he doesn't really give up on her. It just almost seemed like the scene was kind of wasted, you know, uh, like, well, she, it, you know, I don't know. It, it does switch, though, because he is abducted by these monks. He's finally he's finally overpowered by the monks yeah, after all this time. Right, right. See, it leads to, you know, the final showdown at the church where, where Cammy is waiting for Sam and she she has the Red Lotus. Or, 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 you know, they think she's going to give the red lotus to the person. And, you know, she kind of has to step up for, for her, her, you know, sort of man. You know, and it's kind of a nice moment to where she yeah. probably she, she shoots the gun off. And she's not a good shot, of course, but she, she grew, some, grew some balls there, of course. Yeah. yeah. And she actually admits, you know, at one point she actually actually says the words, I love Ed. But that'll come back into play here a little bit afterwards uh that'll come full circle a little bit but i gotta talk about one thing that happens before they get to the church was when they get to that weird hotel bar with the guy that calls himself roman i think because this bar that had that's got a really sweet deal going on even if you order water they got to charge you for a two drink minimum you know so they're getting charged for four drink minimum for sam and ed when they're only getting water, so this bar is making buku bucks off a glass of ice water. But it's a weird fucking bar with the hotel guy, or the hotel bar guy is literally trying to do uh, a Dyson impersonation, which felt really weird. I didn't know, like, if that was, <laughs> that had to have been deliberate. That had to have been 110% deliberate. Oh, yeah, doing, like, the whole, the whole you know, Guinea meathead accent. Yeah, he, he was, he was um good going off on um whatever... Is this the scene where uh, they try to follow the person in the them in the back? Is this the one? Yeah, where and, they uh, go down below the, in the theater where they're going through the wardrobe department and they come yeah. to the, the the big the big girl with the, the titties that knock everybody out. Who who's Queen Kong? As as she, she was a lady wrestler. You you may have seen her show up in a few things. And I, I'm gonna look this up right now because. Um, I know she was on an episode of Married with Children, I think, and she's in, oh, she, she's in some other flicks that I've seen, but she shows up in things. This big lady wrestler. I think she was in Married with Children. You're well, right. I, think I, I found it now. <laughs> she's in Theodore Rex. She was the bearded lady in Spaceballs, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else, though? Episode of Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Episode of uh, Dream On, if you guys remember that HBO series. Um, oh, I remember that. She was in the Love in an Elevator video, Aerosmith. Um, all over TV. M- Mama's Family. She, of course, she was uh, Mat- Matilda the Hun. If you watched the, the Glow, the original Glow, that the, when they were on TV, um, mm-hmm. uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. You know, she, she, was, uh, the, she was fictionalized on TV. 
and uh, some Jim Wynorski love Death Stalker too. Check it out, y'all. Oh, you know, Death Stalker. We <laughs> were just talking that on um, the previous episode on uh, Death Stalker came up many times when we were talking about Sword and the Sorcerer, as mm-hmm. well it should. But I see she. I was looking her up too. I see she just passed away January of last year. That's a shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. Yeah, I remember that now very vaguely. But I remember. Yeah. Yeah, but she was all she was all over TV and in movies and stuff, and it was nice to see her show up in this. <laughs> <laughs> when she knocked out the one uh, the one monk with her titties, she just kind of stepped forward and pong. Really good, really good. Yeah, it's great shit. <laughs> but this is the part where I got to mention the 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 second ongoing joke or about this movie. It's the only one that that kind of is played out a little too much, and it's not funny. I love the the ongoing joke about you know meatheads and air versus airheads i love the the joke ongoing about we are not ninjas the joke that i felt like it was a gag that went on too long was who's going to play ten thousand for a watch because yeah. that's what uh sam uses as collateral she's like i'll pay you three hundred dollars to help me you know get to my sister and he's like all right i'll do it for five and he's like well i don't have any money but here's this watch I'm like who was paid 10 grand for a watch well, my ex-boyfriend, he's like, well, would he lie about the watch? No, he's just going to lie about being married. It's like, okay, then the motherfucker would lie about having a $10,000 watch, too. But. The boyfriend, we, we we didn't name him yet, but uh, character actor Charles Rocket, who's in many, many things. Yep, look, look, yep. look at the, look at the Fair, Fairly Brothers movies. He's all over those movies. This makes me wonder if this had a link to somebody in the in the Fairly Brother you know, clan of characters, because it's got Lynn Shea. It's got him. It's got Liz Sheridan in it. I mean, it's just got some comedic fucking gold. That this, uh, this movie is underappreciated. I'm, yeah, I'm really, just going to say really it now. Is. It really is. It's a lot more fun than it has any fucking right to be. Oh, I, I agree. We're okay. almost at the end here. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, we're almost at the end of the movie here when we get to the church. But, like, the one thing I have to ask when they finally decide to kidnap Ed... Now the ninjas slash monks that have been going around this movie for the last hour and 20 minutes have a limousine? Why did not they not lead with that instead of traveling by foot? <laughs> you know? So, so, so they can travel without traveling. They, they're floating on their way to, uh, to different places. That's how they move so fast. All right. And I got to say something here. And I, 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 I don't know if you'll agree with me. So feel free to disagree 110%. But... I love this movie, but I hate the fucking music. Oh, it's the, bad. The, it's real bad. The music, there's a, you are the one, mm-hmm. the, the lovey-dovey music that plays. That song plays over this movie like four times. It's but, just like. I, I, will say, I will say this. <laughs> you pick any 90s action movie, like early, early 90s action movie, you know, for like PM Entertainment or something like that. They all have that shitty, you know, slow song in them, you know. Oh, yeah. Every fucking one of them did. <laughs> Lawrence Hilton Jacobs is down on his luck. He's doing uh, whatever, whatever the lyrics are. So stupid, but, you know. <laughs> but they all had, always had that stupid, cheap, you know, slow song about when, when the hero is down on his luck. And he's down for the count. But, of course, he's going to come back up again, which I can appreciate this movie. Yeah, he, he does it a little bit, but it's more about the women at the end of this movie because, you know, Cammy steps up for her sister in a way. You know, she she's found true love, apparently. 
Yeah, and she just says if her, if her you know if her sister believes in this guy and loves him, then she's going to stand by her. And again, you know, I can't understand the conversation they have before. Like, mom and dad would be so disappointed in this or whatever. But one of you ended up a botanist, this world renowned, and the other one is a like truly infamous uh, supermodel. So I don't get that they would be disappointed. But, you know, that, that's all for movie purposes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they have to make an exchange at the church where they're, you know, it's, you know, Ed for the Red Lotus. It seems legit. What doesn't seem legit is that when she's given the story, when uh, Cammy is given the story about where she found the Red Lotus with no, no type of, you know, uh, viable soil to grow in, she found it underneath 20 foot of snow. Uh, that does not seem legit. I want to know how she found under 20 foot of snow, but you know, uh, I, I'm going to say she has, she has Shaolin power, Shaolin powers that were not spoken to us in the script. I'm guessing that's what's next. There you go. Yeah. She, she was the, she was the real ninja. She was not a monk. She was a real ninja. <clears throat> she, but, she, 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 she does. She dug those hands in the snow super fast, like Bruce Lee or something. And she said, okay, now, now I'm in the snow. I, I got, I got the red Lotus. Yeah. <laughs> Not, not explained, but there you go. Yeah, but poor, poor Ed, you know, he gets the shit beat out of him, and he's been getting the shit beat out of him, you know, throughout this whole movie. I think it's just like, unlike John Wick, you know, he actually responds to his injuries. <laughs> you know, he's just like a little tired of getting punched in the head and kicked in the face. And, uh, you know, during the end battle, the end battle for for having some great set pieces and some great stunts i feel like the end fight was a little bit rushed not not horribly but just a little bit it's a minor quibble i have with the movie whereas like the end battle just seems a little like i said a little rushed a little bit sloppy but again you know for for this movie for its faults i can't hate it for because it's so fucking fun i kind of like the dice man was humble though because at this point in his career he was always like this cool guy, like this invincible guy. Well, but in this movie, he's he's forced to be, and I think it works really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, more sense, more sensitive, like a more sensitive dude. And I, I I I dig it. I dig that this change. And and if you guys haven't explored, um, I'm not telling you to go run and go watch *A Star Is Born* and *Blue Valentine*, but those two films in particular, he he turned himself into kind of a fine dramatic actor in those two two films in particular. So, yeah, when he wants to, when he is not just playing the the dice man character, he can really bring it when he wants to. It's just he's not really given a whole lot of opportunity to play anything outside that character. This is like I said, this is it's dice man light. It's PG thirteen dice, like I said, and yep. I like it. I, I like it for especially after something like Fort Fairlane, which was one hundred and ten percent machismo dice. You know, uh, I like it. I like it a lot. But without, without that sensitive dice, though, thing that sensitive dice angle in this movie, the way he plays the character, that that PG thirteen dice would not work if he was just try if he was attempting to make dirty jokes, but being clean at the same time. This works because of, because he's clean because he's humble, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, totally. It wouldn't work if he was being you know the, the air quotes again here filthy dice. It wouldn't work. It's like I, 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 they just did the Jerky Boys movie on Pick Six Movies, um, Bo, Bo Renzel and, and, and Chad Cooper's show. And the reason why that film works and doesn't work, because I, I still enjoy the stupidity of it, is that those are 
dirty comedians, you know, making a PG thirteen comedy, and it just doesn't it doesn't work like that though. Yeah. No. Yeah. PG rated thir- uh, PG thirteen rated R rated comedy is just. It's just like telling the joke and cutting out the punchline. It's just like it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, he 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 toned it back real fine though, and I think it it really works as a character in this movie. Oh, totally, totally. And I would have liked to seen him play a lot more characters like this, but you know, we got this movie at least, so there's something. But uh, yeah, they're they're trading off here. Wu is, and there's only a few of his guys left. Uh, Cammy takes out a couple of them. I love the line when she says, when she calls him a ninja, and he's like, we are not ninjas for the last time. He's like, well, if my sister says you're a ninja, you're a goddamn fucking ninja. And I like they play the fakeroo where they kind of toss the, it's like almost like a like a Looney Tunes bit, you know, where they're tossing the, the red lotus around and they're trying to keep it from smashing and breaking because, you know, he you know, can't have it exposed to the elements before I ingest it and I get all these superpowers because they say, if he ingests this lotus seal, anything he imagines he can do. If he imagines your plane bursting into fire, your plane will go down. If he imagines you dying on the spot, you'll die on the spot. Well, uh, Dice finally, or Ed finally, you know, lives up to his namesake. He delivers a fucking powerful brain smasher punch that literally crushes in the front of, in a very comical way. It's not very bloody. But he crushes no. in Wu's fucking head and <laughs> and just smashes his face in, and this you know, uh, you know, brain smasher. Now, now, when when Cameron says this, okay, this means that his, he punched him in the eye so hard that the Lily Cave it looks like fucking two craters just sitting there in the islands, per- perfect craters. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah, that that would kill you because your yeah. your skull would be pushed into your brain. But, yeah. you know. But suspended disability, he, he has to eat this white lotus, this red lotus flower. Yep, and it, uh, it leaves me with two questions. It's like, one, why didn't he eat that, that flower first, you know, before, while he had it in his hands for like full five minutes instead of staring at it and smiling like, oh, I finally got it. Should have led with that. And why didn't Ed lead with that brain smasher punch with a couple of these guys in the first place? And maybe he had to, you know. He had to Hulk up, I guess. You know, he had to he had to get the Hulkamania power behind him with all the Hulkamaniacs and kind of power himself up. That's all I can figure. Uh, because budget, because they, they couldn't have a big old mystical action scene in an Al Rapine movie like that, and you know, because he had to start glowing and like floating in the air and doing shit after <laughs> he ate the after he ate the red lotus flower. That that they were going to save that for the sequel. That was what they were going to do, and it's like, but no, no sequel. But I like that. I will destroy all of you. And he eats the flower. And like as he's eating it, I'm just like, oh, I will destroy all of you. But will you? Will you woo? And will we find out that Cammy pulled a switcheroo with a poisonous flower? And I have to admit, in the when I first uh, saw this, I never saw that one coming. But as he dies, he goes down. And I, I don't understand why they did this it seemed out of place but it makes me laugh out loud every time when Wu falls over dead after eating the poisonous flower and having his brain crushed in, in the middle of his skull they his life literally goes down the toilet because we hear the sound of a toilet flushing <laughs> like i don't get it but again like i like i said before many times about this movie i i don't i'm not mad at it for it Albert, you're from beyond the grave. I'm going to write a better ending scene for you, okay? 
The monk right, is the, the monk gets his eyes punched in. Wu does by by the by our by our hero Ed Malloy, the brain smasher. Now, if you know anything about monks, you know they could fight blind. They're all Zen like and shit. So you know he could say you know ah oh, a simple simple brain smasher. You know you destroyed my eyes, but that would only make me stronger. So if he did some like some real kung fu shit while he's blind, that would have been badass monk move right there. I think. Yeah, I that would love been... to see more of that. Yeah. But no, it's not the ending. It's the ending we wanted, but not the ending we got, right? Yeah. But uh, this is pretty much, I guess, the end of the movie. I mean, like, the sister, you know, reveals that she, you know, uh, that Cammy reveals that she, you know, switched the flower. She has the flower in a cooler, in a, you know, in the fridge. So she transfers it to a cooler, and she's like, all right. You know, you guys will do all right together. I'll see you later. Uh, see you at mom and dad's house or something to that effect. And she leaves. And then they have a touching love story kind of moment. Because this is called Brain Smasher, a love story. Which was really weird that I, I felt like it was a weird choice for uh, the, you know, the Dice Man to, to do as a follow-up to Ford Fairlane. But I think it, it was nice change of pace. But he, like, literally says at one point, She's like, you know, or well, uh, Sam says at one point, right before the ending, within like 60 seconds ago, she's like, I really like you, Ed. He's like, like me? Well, you said you loved me. And he's like, well, I say anything to, you know, uh, save the world. And he's like, well, say it again, Sam. So she, they say they love each other and they end on a kiss. Now, this is where I got to ask, because I made a note while we were talking. You said that you had uh, some thoughts about Dice's uh, or Ed's intentions. Well, I th- I think I think that Albert Pune is a, is a bigger John Hughes fan as I am, and I think that the, his character from Pretty in Pink, which is the same character he's playing in this movie, basically, basically he's, he's called Dice in Pretty in Pink, uh, is still being a bouncer. He 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 had a long road to Portland, Oregon, and he he becomes a a, a, a hero in this movie. So th- there's your John oh. Hughes uh, Andrew Dice Clay connection, you know, because I, I I fucking love Pretty in Pink and. That's pretty. I was like, oh wow! I guess Dice has made it made it to Portland. You know, <laughs> he, he, he's done giving the Duck Man all the good advice and all the good words. And uh, he, to he's be honest, coming. I forgot that he was even in that until you mentioned it. It was like a boom, brain blown fucking moment well, there. Well, but yeah, well, he does the cigarette flip in that movie, which is which is missing from this movie. You know, which 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 you want? Come on now, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want at least one cigarette flip, but we didn't get it. Yeah, I guess you only get that with uh, rated R dice man. That's that's but, great A dice man right there. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but that is the end of our movie, and with Wu's final moments going down the toilet, saying "I will destroy all of you," he doesn't. So he doesn't fulfill his prophecy, and you know, hopefully, we as we all hope and think that uh, Sam and Ed will fall in love and end happily ever after, but. We don't know because there was never a sequel. So I guess we'll just be left to wonder what the love story of our century could have been. <laughs> but that being said, uh, you know how we do things around here, Gary. We usually do our, our final thoughts on the movie and a rating on a scale from 1 to 10 and guests go first. So, you know, have at it, sir. Um, this could surprise some people. I'm going to give it a solid 7, though. It, it's... um. It's it's more it's more than, than than middle of the road, but it's 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 a little more than it's it's not quite to, to like eight point five status. I, I would recommend it to to see this more reserved dice man, you know, do his thing. Um, 
because I, I think he worked real well with the material that he was given, and that's a that's a real strong suit of the movie, and you know the fun action set pieces, of course, and not so much the women, but you know that just dice being more reserved. I I I I like this dice. I like the other dice too, but I, I like this like a happy medium. So I think yeah. um, a seven out of ten is is a fair grade for this. So maybe we we'll give this less. Um, that's fine for you. I, I, I liked it. I dug it. Um, I'll match your seven out of 10. I was kind of floating between a six and a seven out of 10 when I had watched this, but I figured I'd, I'd reserve my rating till we finish the show, but I'll match your seven out of 10 because is it a perfect movie? No, but is it a fun fucking movie and a good time? Absolutely. It is. It's like I said, it's nice to see a reserved, more gentle dice man, you know, and, uh, I mean, like you said, I, I like both versions of Dice when he can play the light, lighter side or the heavier side. I think he's funny as hell. He's a great comedian. But uh, it's Albert Pune's, you know, few forays into comedy. You know, there's always some com- comedic bits in his films. But, you know, this is a, a first, uh, I, I really think about the only full-blown, you know, comedy that he's done. And it's, you know, it's a romance movie. It's, it's a very much a love story, which is very odd, you know, for uh, Pune's uh, body of work. Usually it was all, you know, Kung Fu shoot him up and, you know, science fiction cyborg stuff, which, you know, is my favorite kind of stuff by Pune. You know, it's no, no, uh, it's, it's no surprise here to, to anybody, as I've said multiple times on the show and off the show, that Nemesis is like my one of my favorite films of all time. It's really good. It's really yeah. good. But yeah, it's. I, uh, I, 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 I have one more small note. I almost wish that he would lead in, we would lead, leaned in on the comedy a little bit more. I know mean, I've mentioned a couple things, but you watch stuff like with like Jackie Chan and Sam Hung together, like Meals on Wheels, and you know, that. They, they mix that comedy in, you know, with the serious stuff. And, of course, the, the, the amazing martial arts of those movies. But um, I, I almost wish the, the, the monks were a little more comedic, comedic in this movie. Like, to make, yeah. to make, it, make, it a little, make it a little lighter. I mean, that 7 might have been an 8, as far as the rating goes, if that happened. So Yeah, if they had leaned into the comedy just a bit more, I think it would have benefited the film. Because they kind of leaned into it a little bit, you know, like when they're doing the, the Jim Cotta techniques and, the, and they start clapping and everything. And when Wu makes the one joke in the bar, he turns around and kind of goads the rest of the group to, hey, like, hey, cheer, laugh. And that has some more moments like that. Just a few more, it would have kicked it up a notch. And also, shit, if we would have had Tim Thomerson and Brian James and just one extra scene, I probably could have bumped this up to 7.5 at least. Because those guys, you know, they make anything they're in better. For sure, for sure. But uh, I got to ask, I meant to ask this at the beginning of the show, but uh, we'll ask it here at the end anyway. Where does this fall amongst your your favorite Pune movies? Do you have a favorite? And is is this your favorite? Yeah, I I have... Sword and the Sorcerer is probably my favorite one. I I have to go really look at this real fast. Let me... Give me a hot second here to... uh, Go to the IMDb. I, I know Arcade is up there, although I, I, I wish Arcade was made better. Not, not better, because the story kicks ass, but like the, the with, with better with better effects, I think Arcade would have been a lot stronger. Yeah. Um, Albert.
Oh, man, there's Albert. Uh, had the pleasure of watching Road to Hell, um, which is a, a sequel of sorts to Streets of Fire. That that got pushed up pretty far for me because it was it was so much different than anything he's ever done. So if you you can get access to Road to Hell and you, you want a film that has Streets of Fire characters in it, but is nothing like Streets of Fire, you can go check that out. And I mean that in the kindest way. That it's nothing like Streets of Fire. It's, it's I've, I've seen completely it. different. Mm-hmm. I think I rented it straight from Pyun's website when he had it uh, streaming there for a, a couple of years back. But yeah, I agree. It's like it's like watching a nightmarish fever dream that somehow has Streets of Fire characters in it. You know, ne- Nemesis is great. There's a lot of good ones that that I liked for many different reasons. But if I had to pick one, I I, I would pick Sword and the Sorcerer just because it was made right at the time. They were making so many of those uh, sword and sandal movies, and it really sticks out, you know, because he, he did it on a budget, obviously, but it, it it looks like Excalibur in a lot of scenes, and that that's yeah. hard to do. That's hard to do on a budget, and um, you know, Dollman is is up there too because it, it that, that kicked me into my love for for Thomerson. Oh, and same, same. He he plays it so well in that movie, playing this this little dude fighting big people, and yeah. It's just um, it's 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 a good time if you haven't seen Doll Man. It's it's like it's like eighty minutes, so you're not wasting your time at all. <laughs> yeah, it was like this movie is only like eighty five minutes long, so it's uh, you know doesn't have a whole lot of time to bore you. So so the oddity, if you like Streets of Fire, I'll say it again: go seek out Road to Hell. Uh, contact his wife on the internet. I'm sure she can she can make it happen for you if it doesn't exist on for download or something. Um. Had the pleasure of talking to, to him and, and Cynthia about it, and um, really love it. I really love it, and I watched it like five times when I had access to it. So <laughs> nice, nice. Well, that being said, do you have anything you want to plug uh, before we get out of here? I know you got a bunch of shows. I know we've got some uh, last call at Torchies coming up here soon. But uh, what, what do you got coming down the pipe? Yeah, unfortunately, my sister was in the hospital, and I, I wasn't able to do anything for like two weeks. Just as far as like recording or, you know, getting real sleep or anything, it just it, just, it was a blur. It's all blur, kids. But uh, next up on Torchy's last call of Torch, they do a show with Cameron there and, and Lee Russell. Uh, you will hear Trespass is the next episode with, with Ice T, uh, a Pune favorite as well, and uh, Ice Cube and William Sadler and Bill Paxson. Uh, we're pairing that with our Patreon. Go join Legion Patreon, please. Patreon.com/slash Legion Podcast, where you can get the bonus. Torchies episodes. We're going to cover Judgment Night. Uh, and it's only for what? A, two two dollars to join the Patreon, right? Two bucks, take three bucks. But yeah, they're it's well they're worth exclusive it. Exclusive to there. It's exclusive to there. Um, you get Court Sides Radio Radio um, Pirate Radio edits of Cinema Psyops. You get early releases on there. But um, you get all the bonus torches there, which you'll get nowhere else but on Legion Patreon. Um, those are there. So the podcast, we're still in queue to do the the like um, the, the crime in Jamaica show um, with the Mighty Quinn and the Harder They Come because Suzanne came back from vacation from there, and we've been meaning to do this show for like a month now. It just hasn't happened, but that is next in the K. And um, after that is the the We're So Horny episode, which we're doing <laughs> s- uh, Sleepwalkers and the Howling. So that should be Ooh, fun. We're so, so horny. I yeah. get you. <laughs> see, what, see what I did there? Yeah. yeah, see what, I, yeah, yeah. I see what you did there. Sly dog you. 
other stuff, yeah, it'll come when it comes, guys. But those those things are uh, a constant that are going to be coming very, very soon. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back and do it again. Um, this is a nice start, dude. I appreciate this. Oh, I appreciate you making the time. I know we had uh, some snafus on my end and your end trying to get this uh, together here, but I'm glad we finally recorded on this. It's nice to find someone that has an appreciation for a fucking obscurity like Brain Smasher as much as I do. Yeah, yes, yeah, is again much better than expected. I haven't yeah. seen it in a very, very long time either. So, so somebody out there listen to us. We will buy. Well, maybe nobody else will buy a copy of it, but I'm sure Gary and I will both buy a copy of it if somebody puts this out on Blu-ray or DVD, something, anything besides you know, the Vidmark VHS that is like, you know, also very hard to find under sixty dollars. I, I I have learned. That if John Waters farted and recorded and put it on vinyl, somebody's going to buy it. So I'm sure somebody would buy uh, Brain Smasher on Blu-ray. <laughs> I would. I would. <laughs> Not a problem there. Oh, hell. Well, bud, I think we'll stick a pun in uh, I think we'll stick a pin in this one. Well, we can stick a pun in it, too, I guess. We've got a whole bunch of puns here. But anyway, we'll stick a pin in this one for the evening. I want to thank you for taking a couple hours out of your time to rewatch this movie and do the show with me for Pune Appreciation Month. I always appreciate your time, sir. Appreciate you, sir. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, folks, you have been listening to Gary and myself take a deep dive and dissection on Brain Smasher, a love story from 1993. As always, thank you for listening and keep tuning in. Thank right. you, guys. I mean, Obviously, you can almost say it was a dissection of the movie, so, you know. Dissection? Ooh. I'm going to stand by that uh, <laughs> that pun remark. There you go, then. Because it works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>